You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, faith family. I invite you to open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21, to the book of Numbers chapter 21. If you're new to the scriptures, that'll be early on in the Bible. You can just go all the way to the beginning and just come over past Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and you're going to hit Numbers. And um, when you find that, look for chapter 21. This is a place in the scriptures where we are seeing a lot of things happen. In fact, uh, if you get Deuteronomy filled back over, I uh, spoke out of turn there. You know, I, I memorized the books of the Bible, by the way, just as a confessional thing, not by the song that my wife and many others, who, who memorized the books of the Bible by song growing up? So, come on, raise your hands up high like you're proud that you learned them. That's good. I'm glad you did. I didn't. I learned them by place in the Bible, and uh, I just kind of know where to turn for some of them, and others it still takes me sometimes. I forget where things are. Uh, so that's okay, hopefully for you, it's okay if you have trouble sometimes finding something. Uh, what I want you to know today is, is that no matter if you came here knowing a lot about the Word, if you came here and this is your first time in a church in a long time, if this is the first time you've been in a faith family at all, at least this season, I want you to know that today is a day of expectation, and it's not because of anything that I'm going to say to you, it's because we serve a holy God who is sovereign and supreme, and he has spoken to us in his word. And so as we look at his word, I promise you that he has a message for you today because you're here to hear it. I promise you if you're listening online or watching online that you're going to hear a message today from his word because his word is going to pierce your heart and he's going to change you according to his word. One way or the other, that's what he does because just like we sang about it, he is the way maker. He makes a way all the time. And the story in Numbers is one that we as a staff were working through this series a couple of months ago, I guess now, and um, it was one that I've always been super interested in the story. It's one that has always kind of stuck out to me. It might be for you when we get there and you recognize where we are, but uh, it's one that has always befuddled me a little bit for why did God do the things he did in a certain way. It's funny that Justin was leading us in worship saying a lot of those same things because I didn't communicate this kind of terminology to him, but that's part of what it has been, the Lord working throughout our entire service, putting this together because he has a path, he has a way, he has us where we are right now on purpose. It's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to him where we're going to be tomorrow or what's going to come at us. The, the, the surprise is always for us, and the testing is always for us, and the faithfulness is always judged on us by how we respond to what he's doing in our midst, what he allows in our lives, and what he blesses us with and what he takes away. And that testing comes upon us so that he would receive glory and honor and we would be filled with joy as we rely on him. And we're going to look at a place in scripture that if you take it out of context, it's a little bit crazy. In fact, we oftentimes will read stories or look at a passage and not understand what's going on. So let me give you some context that helps to color the picture a little bit here. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They went because of a big famine in the land. They went to Egypt to get help. And what some brothers meant for another one of their brothers they didn't like for his destruction, God used to deliver them years later, even though he went through a lot of afflictions. And when they arrived there in Egypt, their brother that they had abandoned for dead, they had sold off into slavery, is the one who delivered them under God's leading into a place where they could find help when the time was hard. 
And then they stayed there. And that family and all their people, the Israelites, they grew and they flourished to the point at which Pharaoh and the people of Egypt took them in as kind of slaves and made them into their workers. And God began to hear them crying out for help, for deliverance. And so God does what he does when his people cry out for deliverance and help, and he brought a deliverer. Now, I'm sure they wondered how long it was going to take. They brought a guy named Moses, a guy who he had delivered through the waters of affliction as a baby. He then led these people out of Egypt, and through the waters of affliction, when he parted the sea, he led them out, and they go on their way, on the way to the promised land. And on their way, immediately they begin to lose sight of the God that just brought them out and saved them. And so God is mad at them over and over again because they have gone against him, they have rebelled, they have grumbled, and he keeps forgiving, and he keeps relenting of wrath or destruction, and he, and he brings them back to himself through myriad, a myriad number of ways, a myriad of ways, and all the ways that he keeps bringing them back, they will be faithful and then they turn again away from this is a picture of who we are as people because we have this deep poison within our souls called sin and that poison is rampant in us in so many ways and in every crevice of who we are that we don't even recognize it most of the time until it rears its ugly head in a moment of difficulty when we lash out or in some type of moment where we make a choice that we would not normally make or that we do something that we hope nobody else knows or that they don't understand, but we know that's just part of who we are. And we like to blame it on Satan. We like to blame it on somebody else. But the truth of the matter is, just like Israel, we are sinners in need of a Savior, and our eyes wander and our hearts wander from the Lord continually. And we are always in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus. And this group is no different than that. They go off in the desert, they grumble, they murmur, they complain, and God finally brings them to a place where he says, none of you are going to see the promised land. Your children will see the promised land. None of you will. You will die in the desert. So for 40 years, they wander around in the, right outside the promised land, passing and brushing up right by the promised land, not able to go in, because they were told to go, and they were fearful and didn't trust the Lord. And they rebelled, and he will not allow them to go in. So they wander around for 40 years until that generation passes. And this is where the story picks up for us. It's right at the beginning of that time where the generation that's coming up is about to be the only generation now. They're, they're coming up in the ways of the Lord. They stepped into a place, in fact, in verses 1 through uh, 3 of chapter 21, we see the Canaanite king comes out to destroy them. And instead of having to run for cover, God brings victory to them in battle because of the faithfulness of this generation. And then right behind it, we step into verse 4, which brings us into a story that seems really weird when we read it. Look at it with me. Let me read it for us. Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone... He would look at the bronze serpent and live. Isn't that a weird story? 
Doesn't it make your mind wonder, like, what is going on? What is God doing? Why is he lifting up a serpent to bring salvation to people who are dying from bites from serpents that God is sending on them as punishment? So shouldn't he lift up the Ark of the Covenant? Shouldn't he lift up, you know, the Ten Commandments? Shouldn't he lift up uh, something that points to him in a different way? That's such a weird thing to happen. So let me take another moment and pray for us that God would open up our minds and our hearts this morning to understand this as we walk through it. So Father, would you please... Would you please lead us, for we need you. Would you guide us by your Holy Spirit into understanding, to not only see and understand your word, but to better understand where we are in light of that, and that we might see our own sin, our own faults, and that we might willingly turn to you and repent of those and see you high and lifted up. Father, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's walk through it one more time just to unpack a few things. So look at verse 4. They're coming right out of this victory from Mount Hor. They set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And they're going around it because Edom wouldn't let them cross through. All right? They were shunned out of that. Their brothers of, of history won't let them in. And so the people became impatient on the way. They were discouraged. I know it's easy for us to look at this and say, gosh, these people are just continually are getting discouraged and impatient. But let's think about it just a minute. Forty years they've been circling the desert when the promised land is just right there. Just right there. They can see it. They can smell it. They pass by it over and over again. And they're, they're impatient and they want to go in. Lord, you said you're going to deliver us. Lord, you're going to bring us home. Like, Lord, we've been trusting you and we're tired of it now. Look at verse 5. It says, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? This is the same thing they spoke right after they came out of Egypt. Did you bring us out here to die, Moses, when they were backed up against the sea? Why would you do that? Look, they say, for there is no food and no water, which is a lie right off the cuff, because they, they're speaking out of this emotional discouragement, out of this emotional overwhelmingness, out of this desire to go where they've been promised they're going to go. And so they're speaking out of it, and they say, there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So there is food. God heard their cries, and he provided food for them, and they're tired of it after 40 years. But it has sustained them for 40 years. Food that falls out of heaven every night. And on the day before the Sabbath, so they don't have to work to gather it, it falls out in a double portion so that they can have all that enough to have enough food for the day they're not supposed to go out and gather. I mean, God's showing again and again how it's all about Him and about how they need to depend on His grace over and over again. And they're tired of it. There's no food. There's no water. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. That word for fiery, by the way, is the same word that we see in other places translated as seraphim. You ever heard that word? We've heard that word referring to angels, to the fiery, the blazing ones, fiery serpents. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, we don't know if they were serpents on fire, probably not. I mean, it, serpents are in the desert. They're all around them. There's different types of serpents, some more dangerous than others. What a lot of commentators believe, looking at history and the time frame and trying to understand what they can gather through looking at what was going on at that time and what kind of serpents were around and what we know about them at this point, is that it could very well be that these serpents, that when they would bite and inject their venom, that it would bring this great fever and your body would swell with this unquenchable fire from within and this thirst that would lead you right to the point of death. It would be excruciating pain, horrible pain and death. 
these fiery serpents are attacking them and they're biting them and these people of Israel are dying. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. This pole would have been kind of like a, like a cross without the top part. And that serpent been on top of it and lifted up where everybody could see it. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live, it says. I want you to notice a few things today as we walk through this. We've just got four kind of steps through this text, kind of a verse at a time. I want you to notice at the very beginning their discouragement. Look at that verse 4 with me again. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Can you understand the impatience? Forty years. Forty years. Almost everybody out of that generation is gone. They've died. And even the younger ones who are now the older ones are looking at it going, okay, Lord, you said we were going to enter. You said we were going to get there. And now we're passing it by. We're going by it again. What did you bring us out here for? I think many of us can relate to that. I think many of us have gone through times of affliction where we thought, hey, I thought things were going well. I thought things were going the way they're supposed to go. I thought I was becoming the man or woman I was supposed to be in the power of the Holy Spirit that you created me to be, Lord. I thought things were going well for our faith family. I thought things were on the move in some good ways for, for my family at home, for this church family. But look what's happened to us. And I know that many of us right now in this room that are watching online have been hurting. They're watching other people hurt. You've been struggling in your heart. You've been broken over what's been going on in your lives, in this life of this faith family. And it can be very discouraging. It's okay to be discouraged. It's okay to be hurting. And know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to overcome that in the end. But right now it hurts. Right now it's hard. As Charles Spurgeon even lamented, he said, I thought I was something and now I perceive I am nothing. I had half hoped that I was perfect and now I see my secret imperfections and lustings more clearly than ever. We thought we were well on the way to the promised land. We thought we were seeing... Good days ahead, individually, corporately. Instead, we've descended into the valley of humiliation. Sadly, we sometimes find that there's great discouragement in our lives because we expect people to love us a certain way and they don't love us as they should. Brothers and sisters in the faith, right? That that we're not oftentimes able or capable or we don't think about or we don't try hard enough to love each other the way that we should. We're all sinners and we get that and we know we're not going to always do as we should, but it hurts when people don't love us the way that we should be loved. As we're all admonished in Scripture, we must learn to love one another with great tenderness, especially in the deepest and darkest valleys in which we walk. And that absence of Christian love, that absence of loving one another, even in the hard times, especially in the hard times, can be a great discouragement for us. So let us resolve to not be that reason, at least from this point forward. And I'm sure that if you're like me, you resolve that numerous times. 
This is most certainly an area of struggle for me. I find great discouragement right now because I struggle with loving others the way Christ has loved me. I don't struggle with saying hard things. I don't struggle with saying truth. I struggle with the love part. And I have prayed and asked the Lord not to let me be one that's like He's talked about in Revelation where you've lost your first love. I find I often see the world in black and white. Some of you are the same. It's easy to see things in that way. But God has revealed a struggle within myself during this time of affliction for our faith family that I continue to struggle and fail in loving others as God has loved me. So I'm sorry. I know that as the man that God called to be this church's pastor, I am not a perfect man. I never promised to be a perfect man, but I am one who's expected to lead and love like Jesus. And I have failed many times. And I'm sorry. And as the one God has called to be a lead pastor here, I bear that responsibility for our faith family. That where we are right now, right or wrong, no matter the circumstances, that weight rests on, at least in part, my shoulders. And I struggle under the weight of that. And I am hurting because I see you hurting. And I'm broken because we are broken. And I hate that I look out and see people not here that used to be here. And the impact it has on all of you. So Lord, help me. Help us. Help us to set our eyes on Jesus who's been high and lifted up for us. Let us set our eyes on the one who can bring healing to us. For it will not come in anything I can say. It will not come in anything I can do or that you can do. It will come as God brings healing and releases us from affliction. For he can do that. The path toward the promised land was long and difficult. Gut-wrenching probably doesn't even begin to describe it. Such a long and difficult path can easily lead to discouragement and anger and crying and depression and, and unknowing of what to do because our flesh is weak and we need continual encouragement from the Lord. So let us understand that the problem with our being discouraged is not because God has forsaken us. Hear me, church. God does not forsake his people. He does not forsake his people. It's the problem we have with discouragement is because our hearts have failed us. The poison in our very own souls, like the poison injected by these asps on these folks in the story, the poison injected in our very own soul, the sin that so easily entangles us, continually points us toward becoming dissatisfied with everything in our lives. Our heart yearns for satisfaction and fulfillment. This is the problem in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, are you really happy here? Are you really happy? Yeah, we're fully happy. You're really happy with all this stuff here, but yeah, we can, yeah, we're really happy. We can enjoy all this garden, but you can't enjoy that tree. Why would God keep that from you? Breeding dissatisfaction in the heart. 
And Adam and Eve listened and leaned in. And now we, because we've inherited the sinful nature that they caused in that moment on themselves, we also lean into dissatisfaction, to complaining, to not being satisfied with what the Lord has given us, not being satisfied with how we're treated, not being satisfied with how my spouse does this or that for me, not being satisfied for for how this person leans into me or doesn't lean into me. We're not satisfied. And just so you know, we will never be satisfied as our hope is in others instead of in Jesus. Because we're made to be fulfilled in Him. This is the outcome of a sinful nature that weakens our faith. We become disillusioned with God's provisions and the insatiable, unquenchable thirst for more leads us to lose sight of simply walking with God. Look at verse 5. The people spoke against God out of their impatience and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. Notice here, discouragement often leads us to complaining, to infighting. It does. Happens in my home all the time. I was greatly discouraged this weekend. And in my discouragement, in the personal thing, in my own family, it led me to be not very gracious with my household. When you feel... When you feel down, it came back. You're amazing. You didn't even touch anything and it worked. (laughs) When you feel attacked or when you feel discouraged or when you feel hurt, when that happens, you oftentimes don't act in ways that you should act. We're all guilty of that. I, I am just as guilty as anybody else. Look at what the Israelites did. They complained of having no way to escape Egypt in their enslavement. So what did God do? He brought them a savior who led them out. As soon as they get out, they complain. Now look, you've got us trapped against the water. They're going to come and kill us. And so what does he do? This powerful God parts the waters, passes them through on dry ground. And they get on the other side. They're singing to his glory. And then a few minutes later, along the storyline, what are they doing? They're complaining and murmuring again about not having. Did you bring us out here because we're going to die if we don't have any food? Come on, Moses, what are you doing? Did you bring us out here to kill us? So God brings manna. Oh, we're sick of the manna. We need something else. So God brings something else. Oh, we're so thirsty. So God tells Moses to strike the rock and brings water out of the rock. Later, all these things point us to the deliverance that's going to come in Jesus. But he doesn't just wait till that deliverance comes. Just like he's not waiting now till when Jesus comes back to take us home. He will deliver his people in his time. He will bring us through the fires of the afflictions in our face. He will do that. Let us remember what God has done for us. Recall all that he's done in providing for our needs. Let us especially recall what God has done for us in healing our greatest infirmity, and that's the infirmity of our sinfulness that leads to our eternal death. He did not leave us as enemies to him, but even while we were enemies, he loved us and came to die for us on the cross. God has made a way not because we deserve it, but because he is a gracious Father, full of mercy and kindness, who loves his children, and he still loves every one of you right now. No matter how great your sin, no matter how great your faults, he still loves you, and I know that because my sins are many and my faults are many, and I know he loves me. Because even in the darkest moments, we can sense the peace of God. 
when we are his. He has made a way for us in Jesus, who he lifted high. And he made a way so we know that we shall not stay in the wilderness for forever. Look at verse 6. And know this as we go there, that God often brings refining fires among his people when they are discouraged and not believing. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. It's not just here. There's all kinds of other infirmities that came. If you go back and just read all the stories, people were believing, following the Lord, and then they pulled back, set their eyes on something else, and he brought something to bring them back to looking at him. These fiery serpents rose up at God's command and bit many of them, injecting their venomous serpent poison into their blood and causing their bodies to burn with unquenchable fire, and many died. O Lord, that you would deliver us from such affliction. O Lord, that we would not endure an affliction that burns us up from the inside out. That it would set our eyes on the way to healing. It could be that we sometimes endure great afflictions because of our own complaining about God or His church. That happens. It could be that we sometimes are taken through the valley of the shadow of death because we are blind to sin in our own lives that needs to be cut out from our hearts. Sins of pride or unfaithfulness. Sins of critical hearts or lack of caring for one another. God loves you too much to leave you and I like we are. He will make us into the greater us He has created us to be. And He does not waste a moment. We may feel like times are wasted. He does not waste a moment. Sometimes God might even loose the serpent of Genesis 3 so that He might purify us from sins that we don't even know that we are committing. Until those fiery afflictions come upon us, sometimes we don't recognize where our weaknesses are and where our struggles are and where our faults are. So that he does that sometimes so that we might be made holy, so that he can sharpen us and take away the dross. And as much as it's not desirable for any of us to endure any types of affliction, let us be sure that even our afflictions can be God's grace towards us. I'm not saying it's good or that it's fun. I'm saying God uses all things to the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. If our afflictions, so hear me out, if our afflictions turn our eyes to Jesus one more time than it would have been otherwise, if our afflictions that we endure burn off the dross, the crud that needs to be made loosed from us, impeding our witness, distracting from his glory, hurting the body, then they can be used for our good and for his glory. The truth is, Lord, we are broken right now as a faith family. We are a broken people in need of your great mercy. And not all of us are broken. Some are more broken than others. Some have been hurting longer. Some will continue to hurt longer. But we all are in need of healing. It's easy to get up here and just fall into the role. It's easy for you to step into the role when you enter into the building. We're pretty good at it, right? But I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. And I'm a sinner. And I'm faulty. 
I'm one who's being refined even right now in your midst, just like our church is being refined right now in our midst. And I am broken over my own failures. I have wept many times over my inadequacies, over my insufficiencies and my failures as a man, as a husband, and as your pastor. As a sinner who very much needs the grace of God at every moment, I see and even see more so now because of what we are enduring, the things in which God wants to change in my heart, and I'm sure that you've seen some of those things in your own heart. And the things that God wants to change us in, he loves you so much that he's revealing them to us so that we might then repent and turn to him and set our eyes on him so that he can change us, so that he can then use us for an even greater glorious work in his kingdom. I know many of you are hurting and broken right now. I've said it a couple of times, just in case you're not hearing me say it. You don't need me to say it. Many of you have hearts that are discouraged and broken over those who have left our faith family. It feels like a very dark moment. Sometimes it feels like it could go on for 40 years in the desert. And as your pastor, I bear that responsibility. for where we are as a church. Because God has called me here to shepherd this church and look at here where we are. My faith has been shaken. I know some of yours has. Thank you, Lord, that our faith is not dependent upon our ability to hold strong. Thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, you, Lord, can redeem You, Lord, are the one who restores. I feel a great weight of responsibility for the pain and suffering that our faith family is enduring right now, and I am very sorry. And I wish I could do more. And I will strive to do as much as is possible. But it still will never be enough. And you know why? Because I am still a sinner. And I am a man of unclean lips. And I am a man who is hurting and broken, like you were hurting and broken, maybe not as much as some of you are, but I will always be unable. And that is why it's called good news that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we can't live. And he came to save the church that needs healing. And he came to bring hope to the broken people who are broken. And he came to bring the the most satisfaction we could ever imagine in the midst of a world that is destructive and hurtful and painful. And there's some things you will go through that you will never get over in this lifetime. But good news, he brings full healing when he comes to take us home. Because he's a good God. He's a loving God. I hate that many people are hurting and grieving. I see where Moses stood in the gap for Israel, interceding on their behalf. They requested it. He was doing it. And even earlier, like we looked at last week, we see a Moses who was going to the Father saying, hey, God, if you're not going to do this on them, on their part, then like take me out and deliver them. That's a big statement. Have you ever stood in the gap for others and said that kind of prayer? We see Paul doing similar things where he said, I wish I could be a curse for the sake of my countrymen. That's one that's really hard because that's a little different than Moses. Moses is saying, kill me now, I'll go to Sheol, I'll go to death. And Paul is saying, I would go to hell for my countrymen if I could. So that they don't have to. And I'm sure like like you, I'm sure like you, 
that I too have pleaded with the Lord to intercede on our behalf and remove this affliction. And I do believe that he will bring restoration. I do believe that he will restore relationships. He doesn't always do it in our time, but it's always in his time, and that's always the perfect time. But our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be humbled. Our job is to be obedient. Our job is to be interceding. Our job is to be kind. Our job is to be loving. Our job is to reach out. But let me just tell us that at this point, many of us, as we walk in this pain of affliction, need to hear this part, and this is the last part. We are not without hope, ever. No matter what you're walking through, you may be new to us today and you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. You're watching online and you've, you've thought, what, is, what in the world is going on? No, that's okay. I still don't know what all is going on in totality. Man, it's just too much. What I know, though, is that there is hope. And there's hope because even the darkest moments of our lives prior to this moment... God has brought hope by bringing us to faith in Jesus if you're his. And if you've never heard this message of the glorious gospel, the good news about Jesus, that he died on the cross for your sins and he was high and lifted up so that when you would look to him, you would find hope, then today is a day of salvation for you if you will just repent and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Turn from anything else and put your hope in him. That is the only way. That is the way, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but in him. He is the remedy. Look at verses 7 through 9. Let's see how it points to Jesus. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, but we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You see this part right here in verse 7, the very beginning, when he says the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and spoken against you. The remedy always begins with confessing, confessing sin, confessing a need, confessing a need for healing, a need for hope. This always begins. They recognized through the affliction that they needed to look at Jesus. They needed to look at their coming Messiah. They didn't know who Jesus was at the time. They looked ahead and said, Moses, talk to God for us. You're the one that's interceding for us. Go to him. We see that we need him. Confessing that need is where it begins. And then you see in verse 7 that the remedy always includes intercession as well. Moses continually is interceding on behalf of the people. He's, conceding, he's interceding right here. They go to him and ask, would you pray for us? And he does. And Moses prayed for the people. This is part of what has to happen, intercession. The good news is that when we confess our sins, when we confess our struggles, we confess our faults and our failures, we have an intercessor for us who is greater than Moses, and he stands right now at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes on our behalf. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate, so that when God looks at us and sees our sins, sees our faults, sees our failures, he doesn't immediately bring down the fiery serpents at this point on us. You know what he does? He says, Father, I died for that on the cross. I paid the price. I paid it all. And you can have not that one because I took his sin. Father, love them as you've loved me. Lead them as you led me. And the good news is that Jesus Christ has never failed us because he cannot fail. Thank you, Father, for giving us Jesus. Amen. And now we can see, verse 8 and 9, the only remedy for our brokenness, right? 
It looks funky here. It's very much cleared up later on. Verse 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, to everyone who's bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. You ever wondered, if you've read this story before, like why in the world does he make it a snake? And why in the world does he put it on a pole? And why is it that he doesn't just... He could just remove the serpents. Right? He, he could just take away the thing that's killing everybody. He could just say, you know, cry out the name of God, Yahweh, and you'll be saved. But he doesn't. He lifts it up, the serpent that's killing them on a stick. Maybe it's because Pharaoh, what they want to go back to in their hearts a little bit, going back to Egypt, why don't you you bring us out of there who had that type of serpent on his crown? Maybe that was a picture showing them what they had their hopes in, but I don't think that's the case. Maybe some people have hypothesized that it has to do with, well, when you've killed the serpent, just like you show your, 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 your animal that you took off that was hunting you, you put their head on the stake out front. I don't think that's it either, to ward off any others. That's not it. You know what it is? It's God saying, when you look at this thing, I will heal you. Maybe God lets us go through afflictions that endure sometimes Because he knows that our hearts are so hard. My heart is so hard that I have to be continually reminded that i got to re-put my eyes back on Jesus. These folks saw it, looked away, walked away from God a little bit. Oh, there's a serpent. Look back at God again. The promise is faithful. Jesus gives us some clarity that he's the only remedy for our sin and our weakness, that he's the only remedy for our lack of faith. Jesus highly lifted up. He talks about it in John 3, 14 through 15. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he's saying he is the fulfillment of that thing. You know why? Because on the cross, Jesus legally became the serpent. He legally became the evil. He legally became the sin. He got what the serpent deserved. He got what we deserve. The evil and the sin in us placed upon him on the cross. And he took the wrath that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve. He took all that down. So he became the serpent that was high and lifted up for us on the cross. Paul says about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That Jesus became one of us to serve us even when we were enemies. And even though our sins are what should cause our death and destruction for all eternity, Jesus became one of us to live the life we could not live a perfection to then die the death that we all deserve on the cross. And then when he is high and lifted up, all we have to do is look to Jesus and we can be saved. Did you notice the the neatness here? They don't have to go to the serpent and crawl up it and like touch the serpent. They don't have to go run over to it and rub it three times in order for them to be healed from their their being bitten by these serpents. What do they have to do? You see it? They have to look. That's all they have to do is look to Jesus. Look to the future Messiah coming. All we have to do is look to Jesus. There's nothing else you have to do. Today you may think you've got to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. You've got to do this certain thing. You've got to get your life right. You've got to make things different. You've got to make different choices. I'm telling you, God loves you so much. He made a way that you don't have to do anything because he did everything on the cross for you. And everything you've ever done wrong, today you can have redemption for it. Today you can have hearts restored because of what Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't take you doing anything else. It doesn't take you doing all these things right before God will love you. He loves you so much even while you were his enemy 
that he would send his son down the cross and Jesus willfully went to the cross for you. And so now you don't have to do anything else. You just rely on Jesus. Just look to the Savior. High and lifted up in our place on the cross. Look to Jesus, the only Redeemer, the only, the only one who is the remedy for our brokenness and our hurting and for our afflictions. That's where we have to look. I don't know why this affliction is upon us in fullness, any of it all the way to the pandemic, all the way to the stuff going on in our faith family. I can't explain to you all the pictures for why things are the way they are, but what I can say is that I know I deserve some responsibility in that. And I feel like I deserve a lot of responsibility in a lot of those things in my life which are going not the way they should. But what I can tell you is this, that no matter how much you think you deserve responsibility in whatever you're going through and whatever you've done or not done that you should have done, Jesus is our only hope, and that's good because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We are hurting and broken, Lord. I pray on behalf of our congregation, we need you, Lord. We need you. Our church continues to need you. I'm a failure. Some of us here are failures. We know it. We need you. We need your grace. You have provided a way in Jesus, high and lifted up, and we need you. Jesus is the only hope. He's the only way. And today, just like these people right here, the this, this serpent's going to be lifted up before them. Before that happens, you know what they do? They confess. They go to the intercessor. They go to Jesus, their future Jesus, their greater Moses. They go through the intercessor they know, and I think through this picture, we're showing that we need to go to the greater intercessor, who is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our brother, who died on our behalf. And so I want to call us, faith family, and I know it's long overdue, but I want to call us to a moment, to a season right now. I know you've been praying on your own. I know some of you have gathered to pray over the things going on in our faith family, things going on in your lives. But I, I want to call us to a moment, a season, if you would, of, of prayer even right now. And for some of you that aren't used to church stuff, this is going to be a little weird. Some of us are going to come down and gather around this place referred to as the altar. It's the steps right here, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our faith family. And one of the things I want to have happen, too, is if there's people in here that specifically want some prayer, some extra prayer over them, you don't have to say a word. If you would just kind of where you are in a moment when I call for it, if you just raise your hand or, or, or even just come up here and grab me or anybody else that looks like they could pray for you, which is anybody, and, and just say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm hurting. I want us to pray for this faith family. I want us to pray for restored relationships. I want us to pray for the brokenness that's in us. I want us to pray for one another. And I know you've been doing it on your own, but let's do it together today. I, I need your prayers. I know others need your prayers. I'm not going to belabor it. I've asked Justin to get ready to come up here. Come on, man, and, and just to, to play some music for us so it's just not super awkward for, the, for all of us in the room when it's quiet and you hear some murmurings going on. Not against you, Lord. <laughs> I guess you. But let's take a few moments and pray. And you may say, I'm not used to doing that. That's okay. You don't have to speak out loud. You can even do it right where you are. But let's be before the Lord in a posture of recognizing our need for the Savior. You may feel like right now you don't feel the fiery serpents hitting your ankle, but you know what? You're going to feel them one day. You might have gone through it already. So right now, pray for those of us who need that kind of healing and that kind of restoration. Let's just take a few moments. I, just, I open up this space now. You don't have to come forward to here, but you can. I'm going to begin praying for us. And you move if you feel like God's leading you to move.
And then I'm going to stop praying and we're going to keep praying, okay? Yeah, that's right. I'm going to get down here and I'm going to pray. And then when the Lord leads to end, I'm going to step back up and we'll close it down. And if anybody feels like they need to pray out loud, that's okay. Do that. If you feel like you can't stay, you've got to go or do something, we understand. We're going to sit before our Lord for a few minutes here. Father, we need you. Even if we don't have the words, Lord, we can say we need you. So I pray right now you would move among us. You would answer our prayers, hear our prayers, for we have your Son as our intercessor. And we love you. We believe you, Lord, to help our unbelief. Hear our prayers, Lord. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.